Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Well, good morning, church. So open our Bibles to John chapter 8. Uh, if you're visiting us this morning and you're worshiping with us, we're grateful that you chose this place to join us. It encourages our hearts, and we hope we can encourage you. My name is Mark. Uh, I used to preach here a long time ago, it seems. And uh, after some vacation and some conference time, uh, it's, it is good to be home. I definitely want to thank Drake Holderman, Michael DeFazio, and Peter Buckland for doing a fantastic job uh, while I was on vacation, and so much appreciate the elders' support. Uh, to give us time away to reset our minds and hearts and refresh, and uh, it was good, but it's, it's really good to be home. Uh, as we continue our series here on the Gospels, taking Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and synchronizing them chronologically, uh, I want to take you to John chapter 8, verses 12 through 20, in a very complex passage, but hopefully we can simplify it enough to walk away here with something that challenges our hearts and calls us to something better. Let's begin in verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people... He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. It's a very complex passage. Uh, and it's, it's intricate in what Jesus did with the words judgment, the word light, the word father. And we'll talk about these over the next few weeks as we continue through the, the passage of John. I want you to remember that we're in the revolution stage Uh, The depiction behind me with the different colors and the arc and the flow is to depict Jesus' life. From the arrival to the obscurity to the recognition phase, now we're in the revolution phase where things begin to escalate and Jesus begins to teach so concretely, even with these abstract metaphors, it's such a concrete point he's making that people don't know what to do with it. And so they begin to push back. And this reminds us of a passage way back in May, in John chapter 5, where they said to Jesus, you keep saying you're this person, but no one testifies to it. And Jesus brought up three forms of testimony that they were ignoring. He said, John the Baptist was the prophet promised in the Old Testament, and he proclaimed me. He said, my miracles, that's my second testimony, the things I'm doing, no one else is doing, and you refuse to acknowledge them. In fact, you say they're from Satan. And then he says, the third thing is, my father has spoken about me through the scriptures. And it was at that moment that the Pharisees, these religious leaders who were trying to protect the law so much that they ended up rejecting it in Jesus, began to plot a way to silence him. And it happens again. This is not John telling the same story over and over. What he's pointing out is, the more Jesus revealed, 
the more the revolution took place. It changed the way people were looking at it. If you want to know who Jesus is, listen to him. There's so many of us searching for depth and relationship. Listen to what he's saying and see if you can't trust it. You see, John wrote so much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke that many of the stories that they go back and bring up, John understands the audience would have known. So he writes a little differently with a different focus. And one of the things he does is he identifies in his writing seven different times that Jesus begins a declaration of who he is with the phrase, I am. Harkening back to Moses when he said to God, if I go to Pharaoh, who do, by whose authority do I enter? And God said, tell him I am sent you, the God who makes things happen. Tell him I am sent you. So when Jesus uses this phrase, I am, his audience understood what he was doing. So many people in today's world say they can't find anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, our critics, or not so many, but critics will say that Jesus never actually said he was God. Uh, Pay attention. Because if you do, you'll understand what he's saying. And when he says, I am the light of the world, verse 12, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The word follow me is what he's directing light toward. You see, in the 119th Psalm, an entire Psalm, 176 verses, written about the words of God. It says, your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. See, they didn't live in a world today where we can flip a switch and have electricity. They used candlelight or they used oil lamps. And in the darkness, when they went from place to place or they went through a dark region, they'd have to have a lamp in front of them to show them where they were going. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. I'm the one that if you follow me, you'll discover what the light reveals. So what John is doing here in quoting Jesus, and I want to make this as simple as I can, He's going to show us a metaphor, and we're going to learn what the metaphor's impact is, what its intentions are, and then what we're supposed to do with it. If you can track with me this morning, I think you'll see that John 8, 12 to 20, is a revelation of who Jesus is that many of us even today haven't paid attention to. See, we know that light matters. Light not only was a safety issue for everyday living, but light was also something that directed itself toward the sun, S-U-N. Now, I don't know what length of time, but I've been told anywhere from three to nine months that if the sun actually went out, that life would end once the beginning of that three to nine month period of time happened because all vegetation would die. And if all vegetation would die, then every animal and human would die too because the sources of food are found from the strength of the sun bringing life on this earth through growth. Just nod your head, Jess, if you understand. So we don't have to go back to science seventh grade, right? So you know, we need the sun to live. It's not just a convenience, it's a life source. We also know that that light reveals truth. Timothy Keller, who's a very, very bright intellectual man, has a very simple illustration of this that I'm borrowing. He said, if I'm riding my bike in the dark, I don't know why you would, but I thought he was smart, but he's riding his bike in the dark. He says, light gives truth. He said, there's two ways to discover the tree that awaits me ahead. I run into it. He said, then I've experienced fully the reality of that tree compared to me. Make sense? You run into a tree, you're going to lose every single time. He says, but light reveals the truth of that tree and the reality of that tree because the reflection of light off that tree tells me there's something impeding my my journey. I might want to alter my journey. 
When Jesus says he's the light of the world, what he's saying to us is, I am the source of all life here on earth, Colossians chapter 1. And I'm also revealing to you by my reflection the realities that await you and those things that will impede your walk of life. It does make sense. So the magnitude of the metaphor is that people understood more then than we do now how important light is. So what is the claim he makes in the metaphor? Well, the claim, this is where I'm going to spend a majority of the time this morning. So if you hate history, I'm sorry. If you like the history and background to the understanding, then your tail's going to wag a little bit and so will mine. Here's the claim he makes. Let's jump down to verse 20 of John chapter 8 because there's something significant that's told here by John that doesn't make sense to me if I don't slow down and pay attention to it. Here's what it says. Jesus spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. The word seized means no one attacked him. And I'm thinking, what? Dude stands up in a place of worship. He says, I'm the light of the world. And people want to kill him? People want to attack him and silence him and drag him out? What took place there that doesn't make sense to me? Something significant John is pointing out. Well, we go all the way back to John chapter 7, verse 37, a passage Michael preached on just a few weeks ago. And in that passage, it gives us the details that you and I need to know to make sense of this. This was the last night of the Feast of the Tabernacle. Well, what's the Feast of the Tabernacle? I'm glad you asked. The Feast of the Tabernacle was one of those uh, repeated ceremonies that the Jews went through to remind themselves of when they left Egypt and went through the wilderness into the Promised Land, that they would remind themselves by doing this camping excursion where they would go out and they would set up these temporary housing, these little shacks or tents, and they would live in those for a week's period of time. And they would worship each, each day together, remembering that God had delivered them from their slavery to their freedom. Keep that in mind. The way that they would celebrate this is they would live in tents away from the comforts of their home, just like they did in the wilderness. They would pour water out every day. Water, which is sacred and necessary to survival like the sun is. In the wilderness especially, they were reminded of the number of times without water that Moses was commanded by God to strike a rock and water came forward and enough water to take care of the millions of people that were traveling across the wilderness. So they would pour water out every night admitting that they were giving up control because God would provide. And then they would light a light, a candelabra, if you will. They would, they would light this light to remind themselves that God led them. And how did he lead them? by a pillar of cloud at day and a pillar of fire at night. But now be careful. These pillars weren't necessarily a cloud. It appeared to be a cloud, and it appeared to be fire. Like in the book of Acts, when there appeared to be tongues of fire above the heads of those filled with God's Spirit. It doesn't actually say that it was flame. It looked like flame, like it looked like a dove that came down at Jesus' baptism. The presence of God would come down in this pillar that looked like a cloud and this pillar that would become fire at night to guide them at night. Now this pillar, no matter in what form, cloud or fire, was amazing because it fought for them. It protected them from their enemy. It came down when when God filled the tabernacle. This pillar came down and stood above the tabernacle. The presence of God was depicted this way. So they would light a light every night, this flame, to remind them that God had led them. Now, I know I'm just giving you the overdose of history, but hang with me. So it's the last night of the Feast of Tabernacles. They would gather together for this time of worship, and this candle would be lit. And then when the feast was over, 
they would extinguish the candle. And it would remind everybody in the room that night, when that candle went out, it really went out. It had been a long, long, long time since God led them well. It's been a long time since they saw the pillar of cloud. They saw the pillar of fire. They missed it. They wanted it. There's some of our hearts that are hurting in here today because we want what we've seen other Christians have with God and we don't know how to get there. And Jesus then, now you got all the context, right? Shake your head if you're with me. You got all this background? Jesus walks in front of that flame and he says these words. I'm the pillar. I'm the light of the world. And if you follow me, you'll find this light. The light didn't go out. The people stopped paying attention to it. Jesus said, I'm here. Now, I know this is provocative, so if I make you angry, that's what I tried to do. Please forgive me in advance. If I walked on stage draped in the American flag and I tore it in two and I said, I am your freedom, would you be thrilled? Would you want to seize me and or attack me? Half the room would. The other half would go, hey, whatever. You see, we're divided in our country on what that symbol means, but there was nobody divided in the Feast of Tabernacles when they walked in front of the flame and he said to them, in front of the flame where the offering was put, I'm your light. Now we know why they wanted a piece of him. And people say that Jesus never said he was God. He said, I am the Shekinah glory. I'm the presence of God here on earth. And I've come to guide you out of your slavery into your freedom. Verse 20, one more time. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. If you have a physical Bible and you write in it, you might want to underline those words because Jesus being the light of the world doesn't matter a stitch if you don't follow him. Knowing that there was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night doesn't matter if they stayed where they were when the pillar moved. Church, are you with me? When the glory of God came down in this pillar of cloud over the tabernacle, it doesn't matter a stitch to anybody if they don't go in the tabernacle to worship. Jesus is telling us something. I am the one who needs to lead you from slavery to life, but you have to choose to follow. And like the sun, we all know this. When you're cold, I've got a friend that always makes me laugh. They're like a snake on a rock. They see the sun break out in a ray of light and find themselves just walking toward it, always cold, until they get in the rays. But we realize not enough sun can kill us, and too much sun can what? Okay, let me ask this question a different way. For all of you pasty people like me, (laughs) what does too much sun do to you? Yeah, it hurts. Some of you, you just brown right up and look golden. You just look awesome, and you're sun worshipers, but you won't admit it. And You just walk out for, to get the mail, and you come back in, and you're like, wow. <laughs> I walk out for 30 seconds. I'm like, ow, because I go from red to white, and it's just it's the way I'm, I'm created. And my, my sons make fun of me because when I'm outside working, I wear a bandana, and I cover my head, and they think I'm trying to be like biker cool. I'm trying to survive. Okay, I got a few bills to pay before I die and uh, I needed to get that taken care of so Heather's not stuck with them. But at the end of the day, too much sun can blind you. Too much sun can kill you. Too much sun can crush you. I've been to 
Central America to see men working out in 95-degree laser-like sun covered in long sleeve and shorts and we American, or in long pants, and we Americans made fun of them until day two. And then we were looking for any clothes that would cover us from the intensity of the sun. You see, you, if you don't draw close to Jesus, you can't grow. But God knew that if Jesus came down in full proportion of his glory, remember Moses said to God, can I see your glory? And God's like, oh, dude, would crush you. So what I'm going to do is show you my back covered by my hand, and you'll get a small glimpse of who I am. You see, doesn't that make sense why Jesus came as a baby in the incarnation? Because that's the dosage of glory we could handle. The rest would have killed us. So Jesus is saying all these massive things about I'm the dosage of God's glory. You see, the, sun, or the moon is not a light, is it? Those of you that study the space, is the moon a light? No, it's a reflection of the sun. The moon exists, but it reflects the sun. Every world leader, every religious leader is nothing but a reflection of the image of God in them. And yet most religious leaders are saying, I'm the one you need to follow. Jesus didn't come down saying, I'm reflecting the sun like the moon reflects the sun. Jesus came down and said, ta-da, I'm it. That's why they wanted to grab him. That's why the religious leaders thought he just called himself God. They knew exactly what he did. And not only is he the source of life, he reveals truth. He's showing us what lies ahead. That's why when God says don't do something, we think, who are you to tell me what I can or can't do? Because if it doesn't hurt anybody else, I can do whatever I want. God's not saying don't do it because I don't want you to. God's saying don't do it because I care more for you than you care for yourself right now. Those that don't follow the leading of Jesus don't have the light of life. Because the only way we get the light of life is to reflect Jesus like the moon reflects the sun. That's the only proof of it. Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's not a reflection of God's glory, church. This guy we've spent 82 weeks on is not a reflection of He's the real thing. And he says, if you follow me, he doesn't say you'll get near the light of life. He says, you'll have it. See, when Moses said, can I see your glory? God said, no. Jesus looked at all of us and he said, now you can. When you see me, you see a dosage that brings life and reveals truth and does not devastate you. In fact, we sing it at Christmas, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity. The reason God came as a child was it was just the right dosage of glory that we could understand. In fact, in Luke chapter 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration, you might remember that message from earlier this spring. There was a moment that uh, James and Peter and John went up on the mountain with Jesus and Moses and Elijah appeared. You might remember that we talked about the glory then. But one thing I didn't bring up until now that I want to point out, Luke tells us that when they were having the discussion on the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke said that they were discussing his departure, which is a good English word, but not the right English word. What it actually means is they were discussing his exodus. Hmm. Exodus, Moses, wilderness, provision, care, leadership, direction the blood over the doorpost, the blood of the lamb. You see, what they were talking about was Jesus was the exodus. Think about it. 
He's the pillar of cloud and fire. He's the lamb slain so his blood could get us out of slavery. He's the rock struck so we could drink. He's the cleft in the rock in which we hide so that the glory of God does not crush us. He is our tabernacle. Church, are you with me? I could go all day. He's the man. He's not a reflection. He's it. He is our exodus. As they left Egypt and went into the promised land, Jesus is the only thing to deliver us from one to the other. So you're all like, I know this, Mark. I know, I know, we know it. But we don't live it. We don't. Anybody else struggle with control like I do? I want God to supplement my life. I don't want to have to, I don't want to move every time he moves. I don't want to go every time he goes. I don't want to sit while he sits. I don't want to wait for him to respond. I want God to simply come along me and say, you're doing better than you've ever done, so boom, here's some power. And Jesus goes, nah, Pharisees. You see, I can make fun of the Pharisees for missing it and miss it every day of my life as a pastor. The implications of the metaphor are this. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't lead Jesus. He doesn't need lead. I follow Jesus because I need lead. So when Jesus says stay, church, what should we do? And when Jesus says go, I'm going to do this for a while, so get ready. We should go. And when Jesus says no, how do we respond? Oh, are we lying in church? Because Jesus says no, and we say, why not? Or I can do it anyway. Or he'll forgive me anyway. And Jesus said, no, the light of life means that we trust the one who brought us out of slavery into our future. We pour out our water waiting for him to bring us living water. We follow his steps rather than telling him what he can do for us. I'm not trying to make you feel bad today, but we can look at the Pharisees and make fun of them for this because he was right there standing in front of the symbolic light saying, I'm the real light, and we can come to church each and every Sunday and stand in a place that talks about light and walk out in the darkness. Why? Because in the darkness, nobody knows what I do. And in the darkness, I at least get temporary satisfaction. And in the darkness, I can make you think I'm something I'm not, but in reality, not even identify who I really am and who I'm really following. Jesus does not offer us four options. He offers us one. Follow me, and I will light up your life. Reflect me. That's what he's asking us to do. And it's going to cost you the crowd. It's going to cost you a reputation. It's going to cost you nothing that matters, but everything that seems to matter right now. It's going to cost us to follow Jesus. It's going to cost us a cross, to take up our cross and follow him. It means be willing to die for the cause of Jesus because we have been revealed when the blood was put on the doorpost. God's angel bypassed those homes. He passed them over. And they celebrated the Passover to be reminded of how God, through the blood of an innocent lamb, saved them. And Jesus is our exodus. So live hard with, or live with hard-fought integrity. I just want to be as pastoral as I can right now. Most of us are doing things in the dark that we don't want exposed. We're making choices and you're scared slick over the fact that someone's going to find out. So we lie and we cover and we bury and we're deceitful because we just don't want to admit that there's some temporary satisfactions. And I use that word, there are temporary satisfactions that happen in the dark, but please understand they're temporary because my Bible says the sun will come up 
And when the sun comes up, everything will be revealed. And you're thinking right now, I can't tell anybody and I can't be honest about it because if I did, I would lose everything. You would lose nothing that mattered because in the, in the light of Jesus Christ, there is healing and redemption and truth. You see, your friends will abandon you and people will quit on you and people will use their judgment to feel superior to you. That's just the nature of human beings in a broken world. But I got great news in the gospel. Jesus will never walk away from you. He'll walk closer. The sun that you're so scared of will warm you up and heal you. It will bring life to you. Jesus is going nowhere but with you. And he proved that in the cross. When he became the rock that was struck, when he became the hope of the world, when he stood and said, I'm the light of the world, he's showing us a way out of slavery into the promised land. My Bible tells me everything will be revealed. It is better to confess than be caught. And the judgment will be for those who were caught who chose not to confess. And then I want you to live as a fully committed follower. The greatest act of repentance that we can make this morning is to apologize to God for how many times we've wanted him to join us instead of us joining him. Or we just need to confess openly, God, I'm not good at following my dad used to make fun, and well, I got to be careful because some of you may have done this. It's okay. My dad's old, old school. He sees kids on leashes in the mall, and he, it drives him crazy. And I said, you did the same thing to us, except it was with the back of your hand. And he'd get this smile on his face like, yeah, I did. You see, we're not good at following from the youngest of ages, are we? We all want to lead. We all want to be in control. We all want a voice. We all want to say. We all want to do. But at the end of the day, look what that got us. If you remember where your leading led you, we should probably be willing to follow, shouldn't we? Then the last question I want to ask you this morning is, is Jesus worth following? The light of the world says, I can be the light into your feet and a lamp into your path. It's only a matter of if we let him. So when Jesus says go, we go. And when he says don't, we don't. And when he says do, we do. And when he says trust, we trust. And it's going to be scary and it's going to be frightening. And he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will go with you the whole way. This morning, if following Jesus is difficult or you want to know what that means for you, I'd love to have a conversation with you in the foyer. There's a bunch of us that would. Come to the light and find life. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.